Striker! Striker? Sh- Striker! Wolverine, is that you? <sighs> okay, that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming we're talking about Wolverine in some capacity today. You would think, right? Because of what? Striker. Striker and the movie X2. Yeah. That has, Striker might have something to do with Wolverine, but in reality has absolutely nothing to do with Wolverine. How dare you right now with that? You totally like drew me in with like, here's something you know. But it is, it is still somewhat of what you know. That storyline was partially adapted for X2. Mm -hmm. This storyline was partially adapted for X2. This storyline. The storyline of God Loves, Man Kills. Oh, snap. You love this one. I do. I do. Welcome to the Ex-Wife Podcast. I'm Alicia. And I'm Justin. All right. So today we're talking about God Loves, Man Kills. Is Claremont and Anderson are both the writers of this? Nope. Claremont Claremont is the writer. Anderson Anderson is is the the penciler. Oh, excellent. And so this is the first book I had signed by Claremont when we met him at New York Comic Con. And it was actually Andy's copy that I had signed because I had borrowed it from him to read. Yeah, where did he sign your copy? He did not because I bought this after the fact. Oh, I thought we got another one and brought it back. That must have been something else. That was a bunch of other comics. This is a bunch of other comics. Okay, well, I guess we have to go, you know, eventually when cons come back. Yeah. We've got a task. Yeah. What is it about this comic that you love so much? So I think it it has been said to be his attempt to really distill what it is that he's trying to do throughout the 16 year run like his idea these are the x-men this is what the x-men means to me here is (laughs) my thesis statement i don't know why that's so funny to me this is what the x-men means to me yeah it's it's what they are what they're fighting for what they're up against and i think one of the things that makes this such a great x-men story is its relevance So it was published in 1982. It still speaks to a lot of things going on today and a lot of prejudice against the unknown, this viewing the individual as a group. Mm, Exciting stuff. I'm ready. So this I had mentioned last time when we were talking about graphic novel number four, The New Mutants. Yes. This is graphic novel number five. Number five. This one compared to number four is is a little bit darker and i say that more of as like a content warning in the first couple of pages that you'll see and as we'll talk about there is an intense situation where two young black mutants are shot and killed and not treated in a positive way so mm. uh, I, I lent this book to juan and he was like whoa uh Juan is like a star of the podcast. Yeah. People are like, who are these people? Who is Juan? Juan is our friend, fellow nerd. Andy is our friend, fellow nerd. Yeah. Loves to read comics with us. Shout out to Juan. Shout out to Andy. Okay, sorry. So you lent this to Juan. Yep. And yeah, he texted me that night and he was like, oh, wow. First couple pages. And and that's like the intense, I feel like, statement, right? Yeah. Well, Um, should we? Like I mentioned... So this is not just the trade paperback collection, but 
actually intended to be a novel of sorts, right? It's just an extended long issue, but... So this is like a standalone similar to how the first part of New Mutants was meant to be like a standalone and then... I mean, this obviously in my hands is in a book form. So that's been so re- that's been collected. That's a more modern copy. And you'll see there's interview segments at the front and the back. This year, actually, they did an even more updated copy in single issue at comic shops, two single issues that included a framing story at the beginning of the end. Everything else was untouched in the middle, but more of like a contemporary here they here they are now. Oh, like an intro? Yeah, intro and outro that kind of framed it into the current day. That's cool. And it was written and it was written by Claremont. I don't remember who drew that segment. It might have also been Anderson, Brett Anderson. Oh, the new segment. The new segment. Oh, yeah. That's cool. I yeah. was like a little bit thinking, oh, they just put they just let someone else go up in there and write the book ending stories, but no, it was Claremont. Yeah. Okay, I'm anxious. Shall we get into it? Yeah, so you're looking at the cover, but that's not actually the cover of the book. So oh. you can I open mean, this up. Can to we see- just talk about this cover for a second? Yeah. That because is the- I love that it's just them in complete darkness. Like the whole background is just black. But it is a little weird to me that Nightcrawler, Wolverine, and Colossus are basically facing what I would consider the downstage, right? They're considered they're facing the audience. Mm-hmm. And then Cyclops is shooting his laser beam eyes upstage right. He's shooting to the back. Yep. And that's that feels like intentionally saying, is there something... All around us? Ara- all around us? Is there something behind us? Is there something the others don't see? Intriguing. It's also interesting that they've pulled out these characters on the actual cover. Are these characters in these poses with the other two characters... That are our core X-Men team in this story. All right, so I want to take a a quick second before we get started to just place this in continuity. Okay, in the timeline, if you will. So our last episode of the Claremont run was the New Mutants. Yes. The New Mutants was started while the X-Men were lost in space, presumed to be dead at the hands of the Brood. Okay. This is what's often referred to as the Brood Saga. It's one of my favorite arcs oh yeah i remember you saying about that yep okay and so and that is after dark phoenix long after dark long phoenix. after dark so phoenix. we we've been going chronologically okay days of future past happens after dark phoenix yep this is now 30 20 or so issues after days of future past okay the x-men are lost in space in the brood saga unknown to Charles Xavier, who may or may not be Charles Xavier, tease for the future when we actually get to the Brood Saga. What? 167 is when the X-Men come back from space and meet the New Mutants for the first time. Oh, and they're like, what the heck? I'm pretty sure the (laughs) issues... You stole my job. I'm pretty sure the issue's called something to do with Goldilocks syndrome or... (laughs) And 168 is the Professor X is a Jerk issue. Oh, I know that cover. At the end of 167, he says that Kitty should be on the New Mutants, that she should not be an X-Men, that that was an oversight of his, that she's too young to be on the main team. Ew, Charles Xavier. Well, I mean, she's 14. I know, but listen. 13 at the time. Was she also lost in space with the rest of them? Right. Okay, then she earned her stripes. He didn't see that. And that's that's what he's responding to. He's the headmaster of the school, doesn't have the full information. 
And that is why Look he's a jerk. Look inside their minds, Charles. He doesn't just do that. That's <laughs> Oh, really? He doesn't? Okay, he does. But it, at least he <laughs> fakes the moral high ground that he doesn't. We are... I, okay, tangent. All right. So that the reason I say that is because this doesn't actually take place specifically between issues. The reason why it might fit in between those issues is because of the roster of the team. Okay. And and who's there and, and kind of where they're at time-wise. The other interesting thing that I do want to point out, and that I know you're itching to I open this up. I just want to turn the page. So in Days of Future Past, yes, we see Magneto as... Old an, man in a wheelchair. But also an ally of the remaining X-Men, right? Yes. Which is an interesting idea a of his... A new twist in the comic, sure. basically. And there's those that have said that this story furthers that arc of him coming to a middle ground of... And the reason I'm picking these stories is setting up context to what we're talking about in The Dawn of X. Amazing. You're so thoughtful. Your brain is so amazing. Can we just, can everybody listening right now, just like, let's just do a little clap. Just do a little clap for my husband. And I also I say that because I recognize that you said the other day, it's been a while since we've done a Dawn of X I issue. I miss it. I want to know what's happening. We're going back. We're going to go back. It's just this lays the foundation for the next three Dawn of X titles. Okay. That's solid. So we're going to go. You know what you're doing. And we're going to go heavy into Dawn of X after we get through the rest of this foundation work. All right. So I have a lot of homework to do is what you're saying. Because you I have w- to read those. You will have a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Noted. Now. Now let's I? see that cover. Page turn noise. Or no, I guess technically this is still the cover. That's what I was trying to tell you. Yeah. 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 Is this the cover? Nope. Are you my mother? This is not the cover. There's a lot of pages of nonsense in this book. There it is. There it is. Okay. Okay. Ooh, let me dive into this. Okay. So yeah. So they chose to take. How rude. Yeah, it is kind of rude. They chose to take the two female characters off the front of the book. Yep. So Storm and Kitty. Is that Kitty? What yep. is that costume? Yeah, she was going through a time. She would change costumes literally every or she every looks other like a issue. Confused circus performer. Like I she's think, not sure what if she's a clown. Is she an acrobatist? She goes by she, Ariel in this issue. In these couple of issues, like the Little Mermaid. Yeah, but not like just that name. That that name. Okay, weird. All right. Anyway, what else we got? We've got a man on the news, and what looks like New York City. Yep. And. A giant face, which I'm assuming must be Professor Xavier because he always is a giant floating face. I don't know about that, but... You don't know that he's always a giant floating face? I don't know that that floating face is Professor Xavier. Okay. And then we've got some soldiers, and now it appears that Cyclops is shooting his beams at the soldiers, and we've got some other, like, fiery business in the background. This team, like, this is my X-Men team. This group, this is what I think of when I think of the X-Men. Oh, this is it. And that also has to do with this time frame, the Brood Saga, leading up into this with all the other stories that are going on in continuity. I mean, normally, if I'm listing my favorite X-Men, Cyclops is not on that list, but Uh, most of these guys are, and it's because of these stories. It's because of this time frame. Okay. Well, I'm I'm just excited because you were just saying Magneto's in this, like, and I love Magneto. So may I? A page turn noise. So we're in a playground in nighttime. Nighttime playground. 
Westport Elementary School, Connecticut. Connecticut? Two kids are running and one gets shot. Oh my God. Mark, who's 11 years old, being chased through the playground as the purifiers come upon them. Purifiers. (gasps) Purifiers were in the gifted, yes? Yep. Similar idea, right? What are the purifiers in the gifted? Oh no, quiz time. Aren't they trying to just exterminate mutants? Yeah, they're just a hate group. Yeah. And he's trying to reason with him and he just doesn't know why are you doing this to us? And the purifier says, I'm going to send you to join your parents. And the kid starts freaking out and and starts displaying some powers. And again, both of them are shot and killed. Oh my God. So, and, and it looks like when he's freaking out and displaying powers, he says you killed them. So these people killed his parents. Right. That's what I'm saying. We're going to send you to join your parents. You killed them, them and you, Mark, Mark, why? my god because you have no right to live my lord hoist their bodies on that swing and be quick about it this mission's taken too long as it is just think about that like this so this is this is intent to be found my the next jaw is day just on the floor i've that's i've nothing to say this is why i had to do a content warning you know this is intense you know obviously we're describing it you're not seeing it there it isn't graphic it is done yeah it's not with it's respect not to this idea bloody, it is just it is an intense concept any indication or suggestion of basically a lynching Mm -hmm. is intense intense and it it's a very clear metaphor you know it's very clearly tying if you were unsure before if the idea of mutants tied into anything else in real life you definitely know now thesis statement this is what the x-men mean to me (laughs) yes okay so Hey, hey, it's Magneto. He finds them there. Magneto finds them before they're able to be found the next morning. And their only crime was that they were, had been born. They're labeled. It says Muti on them. Yep. And he just he cries for vengeance and how he will make them pay. Make them pay, Magneto. Make them pay. And I love just the variance of panels that we're getting to see this reaction from Magneto, this darkness, this this rage on his face. Yeah, the artwork in this is really wonderful, especially on the page before the gunshots, how there are these like laser beams that go through the word boom. Yeah. And it, just the, just the like layout. The, yeah, the, the panel choreography almost, how it's yeah. moving from one idea to the next. We're really brought into this, this intense experience at the beginning. And even this panel where Mark is laying on the f- like laying on the ground and it looks like Magneto is closing his eyes. Yep. It's separated into two separate panels, but the panels connected show the full length of his torso, mm-hmm. but the top half is Magneto's hand covering his eyes and then the bottom half is Magneto's hand like pulling off the muti symbol and that's just a really cool way to show you this full picture but also break it down into two segments show the motion yeah right so that idea of you're filling in the blanks of what's happening between those panels you're seeing his hand trace and grab that sign and crumple it in the next panel yeah it's really beautifully done striker striker there he is we get our first sighting of our opposing side and He's doing his his research, his preparation for a sermon, but also preparing for something else. A sermon? Mm Mm-hmm. Stryker is a priest. Stryker is a evangelical reverend. Okay. 
I'm not entirely sure exactly what religion he claims to be, but he's using his platform of a televised evangelical to spread his views on mutants. And oh, man. Yes. This is so real in our lives. Right. Good God. Okay. And not necessarily any one religion or no, group. No, no. Just not, the idea that just the idea like of people using platforms to spread exactly, hate. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And playing on the fears of people. Yeah. Against the unknown of others. Thesis statement. That next page, we get a great play on the let's introduce the cast and their powers in a very different way. So normally that was a a kind of mandate of comics is that you'd be able to pick any issue up and understand who these Mm. people are, generally what's going on in the story. He's doing his preparation work. He's getting to know who these people are. Why does he look like George Clooney? I think he looks like Mike Pence personally. This th- this image of him here holding his chin on the bottom of this page is yeah. so George Clooney to yeah, me. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Hello, George Clooney. Okay. So I'll never look at you the same, George Clooney. <laughs> it's just a, it's an right, interesting. So he's, he's basically researching all of them, but does he have danger room footage or? He has prepared files, footage, resources to try and understand who these people are. And just his point of view, his perspective of someone trying to make a case against them, giving him reason to review their powers, but also helps it stand as a part of the story is just really, really great. Yeah. Who is this lady who's working with him? His assistant, his secretary. Oh, obviously. I think she's labeled on the page before if you were reading. (laughs) I'm just being sassy because she's a lady, so she's a secretary. Chapter one. So that was what? Epilogue? No. Epilogue is after? Yeah. Prologue is Prologue. That's the one. I'm smart. Hmm. Book nook. There's a book nook store. And something's going down outside the book nook store. Kitty is throwing it down. So help me, Danny. She's beating that boy. Yeah. And we have Ilyana. With her and Peter hey. coming around the corner. Who's Danny? What'd he do? Danny's just this guy. I believe he might be a student of Stevie Hunter's. Who's Stevie Hunter? Ooh. Stevie Hunter is a NPC, a, a non-playable character or a non-mutant character of the supporting cast. Oh, actually, friends you would, of the mutants. You would like Stevie Hunter. She has a really interesting backstory. All Claremont's. Side characters have really interesting, interesting backstories. backstories. But she was a, I believe, uh, a, a famous ballerina and was her career was cut short tragically by a car crash I or something like, like that. I have read about her before. We had listened to a video of the Claremont run and he's talked oh, about. Oh, he talks about her. Yeah. Yeah. Into it. Okay. So they're in a tussle with this boy. And they try to break it up and... We, we get an in-world example of the public opinion on Stryker's crusade. Kitty and Danny are talking about why Kitty attacked Danny. And she makes him want to say it, you know, what it is that he feels. I was talking about the Stryker crusade and all the good it does. My folks and I are members. What's wrong with that? Tell her the rest, creep, about how Reverend Stryker is going to save humanity from the godless hordes of mutant kind. Well, he is. Muties are evil. They deserve whatever they get. Does he not know that they're mutants? No, no one knows that they're mutants. Well, Stevie knows. Right. 
Well, because they she all know is, amongst themselves. Right. I just wasn't sure if if she knew this person from outside or. I believe Danny is another student of Stevie's or another student of. Gotcha. They've done you said some. That yeah, they've done some light integration with a nearby school through some episodes of uh, some issues of the New Mutants, so that they have some other high school aged kids to talk to and and. And in this iteration, just because it's looking like this is the beginning of love between Colossus and he's an adult and she's 14. He is a large Russian man who is probably max 18. And I don't believe he's 18 at this point. Okay. I feel better now. Yeah. It's still questionable. It's still suspect. I definitely just thought there was a larger age difference, but. So it turns out the age gap is a bit larger. Kitty turns 14 during the Brood saga. They actually have their first real on-panel kiss, something that was only lightly teased. I think there was a a mistletoe kiss cheek a couple issues previously. Anyway, she turns 14 during the Brood Saga story. He turns 19 after that fact. And it's a generous read of 19. He's a questionable 19 for sure. And that is a difference. Okay, carrying on. So they're going back and forth and it seems like Stevie's upset that what page you on? Just right underneath this panel where they're going. It seems like Stevie's upset and then I'm not gonna speak out this speech bubble, but so Kate's upset about the fact that Stevie's just kind of telling her to to walk it off, you know. Basically, she's comparing yes. it to if it was about race, right? Versus, and she is being a mutant. Uh, Kitty has some some terrible examples of just blind. Just she's heated. She's heated. Yeah, she's. It's this is a passionate argument. Yes, and this also comes. You know, we're talking about the mutant metaphor and how it relates to race. But Kitty as a Jewish character, Mm. in addition to what has just been recently established of Magneto having that same Jewish backstory and them having connected to that, that starts to become really a lot more of the narrative now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So these these two pages in general that you're looking at, the, the one where Stevie is getting blown up on by Kitty, and then they're just kind of watching as she goes off. They give a general idea of the the mutant metaphor for civil injustices. And I don't think it was an accident in the beginning that the two children at the start were black. Mm -hmm. But they were only being persecuted because of the fact that they were mutants. Right. And in this page, we see someone is watching as Stevie is going back into the building. And they're talking about how she's just as bad, if not worse, than mutants because she's a human associating with mutants. Oh, so this group, Stryker's group or his followers are not only against mutants, but they're like if you basically saying if you're with mutants, then you're considered a mutant. Right. Blit. Which also has ties to Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. And it also tells you the depth of knowledge that they have on the X-Men. Right. Because so they know that they there know are people who are. They know that and they know that these people are X Men, right? right. <gasps> Whereas Danny does not, even though that he's in school with them. Yep. Okay, so now we're back at the mansion. We're back at the mansion. Nightcrawler again. I said this when we did our Days of Future Past episodes. Excellent in conversation context drops. Mm. We were worried you'd miss Air Professor's appearance on the television. Hurry, 
inside. The show's about to start. So Professor X is going to be on TV. As we're coming in, Wolverine calls out to Kitty, you know, like, what happened? You get in a, a scrap. And I just feel like this speaks to what will become their relationship, relationship as mentor-mentee. So for a little exciting moment, when I was perusing through the pages as we were talking, I saw that Stryker was called away because he needed to be on ABC News. And here in this bottom panel, it appears that Xavier's also going to be on ABC News. Hey, hey, look at that. Oh, snap. So we can turn the page and we see our debate. It's a debate. We get more introduction to Stryker and his following and also his point of view about the lack of an individual versus the group of mutants that we should be fearing, playing on the fears and insecurities of the people to drive separation between humans and mutants. Basically saying there's no difference. There's not like good and evil mutants. There's mutants. There's just the potential of evil in mutants. I mean, come on, Stryker. You could say that about all humans. Sure. And interesting note at the towards the end from the tech guy in the booth about how Q camera run. You think Xavier's making a convincing case? Yeah, but who's listening? Stryker knows television and he's playing to the audience. He comes across as such a nice guy. Too bad, because the man's message is pretty damn scary. That's all for us. Thank you and good night. I just would like to just comment for a second on the fact that why is a television station having a debate about, like, why why are they having these two on here? Like, why are they even giving him the time to talk about, like, is there a law that's going to be passed or is there something... I think, you know, it's just current events. It's news. It's a it's a program. It's strikers leading this crusade and this this kind of movement against mutants and, and is representing this side of not pro mutant, but against mutant. And Xavier is not known to be a mutant, but is a renowned authority on human genetics and is speaking to the case of yeah. humans and their relationship to uh, is speaking He's speaking on the case of mutants and their connection and relation to humans. Yeah, no, that I understand. I think I'm more less asking uh, contextually in the comic and more just like if this was the world. Yeah, I mean, they have news debates like this all the time about I get really about like other people's lives. Like I just not about specific people like they're not talking about Kitty Pride, the mutant. They're talking about mutants. Like in the 60s, did they have these kinds of things on TV about, I don't, I don't expect you to know the answer. I'm just, this is what it's making me think about. You know, like, would they have two people on TV talking about whether or not like integrating schools is a good idea? I would think I, so. I guess they would. Yeah, because that's how they're moving public opinion. That's how they're educating the voters that's on the stances crazy. of. And the fact that this is at a point where these two opposing sides do not seem also ridiculous from each other. This is just where we're at in public opinion of humans versus mutants, humans and mutants. Man. Okay. So the team watched it. And they're hit hard. You know, they do not look happy. Right. Is, who's coming through the ceiling? Anyone want to join me in the danger room? <laughs> Yeah. Just need to blow off some steam. That's exactly what they're doing. So they're going to go and blow off some steam in the danger room. And they're talking about getting something set up. So Ileana's doing that because she's not an active member of either New Mutants or X-Men. New Mutants aren't mentioned at all in this book. Because they're not a real team. <laughs> wink, wink. They're just students that aren't actually there. They just have uniforms. 
And then we cut back to the studio and we're reminded of this idea of how Stryker was speaking to people's fears and Xavier was speaking to their ideals. You know, he was trying to sway them while as Stryker was trying to incite a reaction based on of you know your, the unknown. Mm-hmm. Stir the pot. And there's some mention about psi shields and how Xavier and Storm and Cyclops shouldn't know what's about to happen. We'll take them in Central Park. What? Who? Who's taking who? Next page. Oh. We're back in the danger room as the X-Men have their, their sequence set up. And they're doing this interesting tiered objective. I think this is a cool way of showing how things in the danger room actually occasionally happen. And I also think it's a great way of showing Kitty getting ready to call some shots in the end. Like mm. Throughout this, she is giving some strategic advice on how to defeat these individual but also team objectives. And I think that that speaks to and foreshadows the fact that this is really the X-Men become about her arc and growth as a character, at least for this time. You know, her becoming this between girl and woman uh, through becoming an X-Men. Not a girl. Not yet a woman. I'm sorry. It popped (laughs) in my head. I had to say it. Brittany. Okay. So Wolverine's in a cage and they're running their simulation. Yep. And so they all have individual things that they have to do, but they also have to protect this family from any of the Oh, yes. I see them in the corner. The mannequin family. But they, they do it all. And we go on the next page to our three mutants from the studio leaving ABC. And they're talking about the potential problems of Stryker. And Xavier mentions and he understands that they had a sophisticated psi shield in place. What is a psi shield? Protecting from psionic attacks, protecting from the ability to. Oh, so, like so Magneto's, had Magneto's that. helmet almost. Yeah. Okay. So there was prevention of Xavier from being able to sense what was truly going on. Okay. I was like, thought I could get away with not asking that question and just passing it off that I didn't know, but then I couldn't. No, it's a good question. If you don't know, then other people don't. It asks the question, if you have that kind of psi shield in place, you must know potentially something about Xavier and his his ability to discern information from you telepathically. Yeah. Right? Either and that or you're super paranoid and just always protecting yourself from any mutant threat. Potentially. And so he's questioning, like, how did, how much does he know? And at the end of that panel and into the next page, some epic action shots as oh, my car crash. Our team is attacked. There's a car crash. There's a sniper rifle. Just an ambush of action. And just that second page of this, that page layout, you know, we're talking about jumping in between different types of panels to really augment what's happening in the interplay of action. So this guy is just shooting like bullets and bazookas at the team at Xavier and Storm and Cyclops and they're just all getting knocked out. Yep. Uh, Storm still looks amazing even though she just got hit by a bazooka. (laughs) Rocco, notify the Reverend, mission accomplished. Or so you think. We hope so. So they're debriefing after the danger room and feeling better about the successful training exercise. But Wolverine is just all serious. You know, it's just a game and games are for kids. And he walks off smoking a cigarette, smoking a cigar. He punches. He just cuts the mannequin guy's head off. Yep. Yep. And the phone. Over it. Yeah. 
The phone rings. Kurt picks it up and he finds out that they're dead. Excuse me, what? Cyclops, Storm, and Xavier are dead. Dead? I don't buy it. Okay, let's keep proof. reading. Proof! Show me the proof! <laughs> Chapter 2. The next day, Kitty cries by a lake. Well, she's having an emotional meltdown, right? I'm just setting the scene. Yeah. And I mean, as she should be having an emotional meltdown. Right. Her friends just died, supposedly. And she's talking about it and rationalizing it as the life we lead. You know, I, I just don't believe they died in a car crash. You know, they do these superheroing adventures. How did this? Right. Well, because they, they don't know that it wasn't just a regular car crash. Right. And she doesn't believe it, though. Says nope. at the bottom of the page, I still don't believe it's true. Yeah. Me either, Kitty. And these two pages really speak to Ilyana and Kitty's friendship. You know, they're talking about Kitty and Peter, and she said, you're blushing. You know, th- this is the starts, potentially, of she slash Claremont recognizing the age difference and outside opinion of other people. Oh, no, it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Ilyana says something. Oh, Mother Volga. I forgot one of the reasons I was looking for you. And I had to look that up because Mother Volga, it's an exclamation. I will now be casually working into everyday language. The Volga River is the lifeblood of Russia. So, Oh, like Mother Russia? Yeah. Mother Volga. Mother Volga. Ah, Mother Volga. Wait, wait, wait. wait. So Ileana's, Ileana's uh, Colossus' sister. Right. Duh. I Russia. forgot that for a second until... Mother Volga. So she's like, why you like my brother? Right. Back up off my brother. And that's really what draws the two of them together in this friendship is the fact that they have Peter in between them. They're similar. Now they're similar in age. They weren't always. Yep. That is his Russian name, his actual name. I just had to say it. And they find this electronic sensor module pointed at the mansion. Oh, how'd that get here? It's so discreetly hidden behind this weird little tent. Yeah, but you know, camouflaged. Camouflage. And we get this another instance of Kitty phasing through electronics and the effect that that has on electronics, right? So it disrupts the circuitry of electronics when she phases through computers or cameras. When did we see this before? Uh, earlier in this, in the danger room sequence, when she phases through some explosives, we didn't specifically talk about okay. it, but I just was making sure I wasn't. I'm pretty it. sure we might have seen it in Days of Future Past, but we. We, like the reader, has seen it throughout the last handful of issues. Well, we, the uh, people who just want you to explain it to us. Yeah, so I guess guess that's my bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay, people. Don't worry. I've got your back, okay? All right. So anyway. So they wait. She sees it. Yeah. So they, they go through it. So she goes through the electronics and disrupts it. And they wait to see who's going to come and fix it. Oh, snap. They know what's up. They're camouflaging themselves, so they're, hiding in the bushes. Right. So they're hiding as the guys head to Central Park to investigate what's happened. And Wolverine doesn't buy the story either. Sense are all wrong. We've got ourselves a mystery, you know, a cover-up, a potential kidnapping. Wolverine knew they'd be watching as they arrived on the scene and that that was a trap as well, that these bodies were meant to look like Scott, Aurora, and Charles. But they're not their bodies. But they were not. Intrigue. And on the next page, we see... The secretary. 
That's not that's not her. Oh. That's that's Anne. Man. Okay. Another brunette. But with an action role, she's actually one of the key people on the Purifier strike team. She was in the first scene. <gasps> she was the lady who said, "Where are the purifiers?" Right. And no sign of the muties. And they're talking about assurance that they should have. So they're, they're kind of worried about you know these mutants and and where they are and what's going on. But they say you know hey we have members at all ends of the park plus our members in the police will catch those muties. Oh my God. And the mutants take this spying team by surprise. What, what's your reaction? My reaction is just the yep the real world tie-ins. That's it. It's just... why. This has continued to be such a relevant story. This is great. This is a great story. Yeah. I'm really into this. Okay. So Wolverine finds one of them in the car. Comes up to them on the car. So does Nightcrawler Hit on the top. Bricks, bub. Right? And sends them off. That's a nice way of putting it. Sure. <laughs> sends them off. Well, they race off. Sure. Vroom. And on the next page, Colossus trying to stop the car, takes out the car before it can get into the street. He and just this... rips the engine out. Right. This epic sequence of him taking out the engine, almost as though he even remarks on the next page, either I am getting stronger, comrades, or automobiles are not so sturdy or powerful as they used to be. Mein Gott, there were others in the car. We didn't see them. Colossus, look out behind you. So this was all part of the trap. Who's this robot dude? More of the purifier team. So the purifiers are stacked. I mean, most bad guys have access to crazy technology, whatever you can draw. If you can dream it, you can draw it. You know, that's the unlimited budget of comics. Most bad guys can have crazy armored suits that make them as strong and powerful as mutants without being mutants. Yeah, they seem to have special weaponry designed specifically to combat these X-Men. What is happening here? Why are they wrapping them in toilet paper? What is going on? Well, that's not toilet paper. That's actually the metal from the engine they oh. weren't prepared for Magneto. <gasps> oh, snap. Magneto, Magneto is here as a friend. And if you'll have me, an ally. Yes. Oh, Magneto, I love you. But we cut back to Kitty and Ileana who are still hiding out. Bored, but then they hear someone coming. Should have brought snacks to the stakeout. <laughs> and... <laughs> Kitty shows us how she uses her powers to phase through the earth. It's almost what? like she's swimming through the earth. That is sick. To scout what's happening and who these people are. So can she see through the ground? Like, can she be underground to underneath them and see above what's happening? I don't think that she'd be able to see through the ground. But that would need. That them? would mean some kind of like X-ray. But she can continuously phase. And then pull herself up, I believe. Like a little groundhog. Basically. <laughs> okay. And on the last panel on that page, a contact. Yikes. There. A they contact. found Ilyana. Uh-oh. End of the line, dear. Just the, to your point, I have this note. This technology that these guys have access to is crazy. They have sensors, nerve gas, psi shields, robot bodysuits. Yeah. I'm sorry, like, what was that you were saying about just inherent evil doesn't matter if you're, you know, good or bad? Seems like the humans fall in that category just as often. Yeah, and Kitty has these quick reflexes to follow along and jumps into the car. Wait, so they don't 
kill Ileana. They kidnap her? They stun her. They stun her. A mutie, Anne. Is she dead? Stunned, Rocco. Put her into my car. So Kitty follows along. And on the next page, this is another part of the technology. The fact that they're able to sense that there's someone in the trunk. And they have nerve gas to set off to knock her out. How do they? Who are you working with? Striker! Striker! Okay. As one set of players exit Xavier's estate, another makes its entrance. So Magneto joins them back at the mansion. And <laughs> with these like mummy wrapped burritos. Right. People, metal burritos. That's how they're going to interrogate them, you know, and, and Wolverine's <laughs> starting that interrogation. Ooh, I love that image. He has like his one hand with his claws out and the other hand is under the guy's chin. And then you just see him like put the blades like one on one side, one on the other side. Like that is a classic Wolverine move. Yeah, Yeah, I've seen it before. It's in movies too, right? Right. And this is, you know, one of the first places where it comes from. Maybe not the first places, but a really good visualization of it. And especially with the snicked on either side of his face as they come out. So he's interrogating them. And Wolverine said, you know, may I suggest an alternative? Magneto says. Yeah. And he takes over the interrogation. <laughs> Magneto, Magneto. And just it's it's this just in conversation with the X-Men approaching a problem together, I feel like really bakes into his whole redemption arc, his whole conversation of him as a character and their differing views. So is it is it uh, before Claremont, before these things start happening, is Magneto still kind of the mustache twirling bad guy yeah yes cheesy villain so he doesn't really get his silver age sinister bad guy he does not get his depth until the claremont run and especially issue number one thank you chris claremont issue number 150 is what i had been talking about that's the one where i did that unironic reading from where he's at the beginning that's when he goes up against the x-men he goes up against the x-men a handful of times this new team but that is when he in kitty first really meet and you he almost kills kitty in reflex and doesn't realize that she is a young girl and also a a young jewish girl and they have that connection and part of their shared backstory there's also a couple of others where they talk about there's another issue where xavier and magneto have their backstory explored explored and how they met in the army and i think i remember us talking about this because it's flashed back in Hoxpox at some point, I think. No, I posted about it when we were talking about Hoxpox. Okay, correct. Excellent work. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. <laughs> All right. So, oh, whoa. Right. So he takes over his his turn for interrogation. What is this form of torture that he's doing? You know, like this magnetic shocking to their bodies. What is on this guy's hands? That's Magneto. No, no. The guy's fingers. Oh, those are like parts of the robot suit. Oh. As he was in the gloves of that robot. I see. This uh, image just makes me think about the image of Wolverine where Magneto's like ripping the adamantium off Mm. of his skeleton. Yeah. Just this like power. So Magneto's basically like force fielding all this mag uh all this metal around him and it's like making him hover in the air yep that's crazy and the conversation around is you know this 
this moral consequences of what is this middle ground between Magneto and X-Men. Once more, genocide in the name of God, a story as old as the race. So Magneto's like, this is, this is an age old story and we've got to do something to stop it. Basically. You know, you're talking to a guy that has recently had his backstory revealed of having been in the Holocaust, which having just survived makes so Holocaust. much sense for him as a character to have such a strong desire to never let something like this happen to people that he considers to be his people ever again. Absolutely. And so is this like a flashback page or, oh my God. Yeah, just no, take, it's not. Take it in for a couple of seconds. These next two pages are the torment of Xavier as he's captured. Him being crucified, the X-Men coming to pick him apart. He doesn't believe it to be real, or at least he hopes that it doesn't. But that doesn't really save him from the anguish that he's experiencing. It's kind of dope to see all the X-Men as vampire looking creatures, though. Yeah. But I'm not really thrilled about seeing Xavier nailed to a cross. And those next two pages. Oh, my God. The Twin Towers. Pretty prominent. I mean, it was New York, and this is I know mid eighties. It's just weird when you see them, you know. Right. Not weird, but like of strikes the times. you as Different. noticeable. <gasps> okay, yeah. So, oh my God, yep. Kurt rips his heart out. Uh, actually, no, oh, I believe that's Kitty. Kitty that phases through his chest to rip his heart out. Oh my God. Kurt bites him. Kurt bites him. Wolverine slashes him up. Storm electrocutes him. And Cyclops comes with his eyes on the next page. Whoa. And then? What is, you know, it's interesting to think what is happening to Xavier. And he's being meant to believe that these things are real. And he's starting to feel some certain way about the X-Men. This is almost a mental conditioning that the X-Men are trying to attack or trying to kill him. So here's my question. Just like, obviously, I'll get the answer in a moment. But this is what I'm thinking. Stryker's team has these people, has Xavier and Storm and Cyclops. They're super anti-mutant, yet somehow they're mind-controlling a mutant who can mind-control. They're not mind-controlling him. They're sending him impulses and they're projecting. And if you look on the next page, you will see him in a deprivation tank, sensory deprivation tank, as he's being fed these images and this reality that is not true. Right. It's just interesting that his powers have no way to combat that. I mean, it's all the suspension of disbelief and the fact that, you know, this, you have the powers of the X-Men, you have to have some comparable power on the other side to create struggle between the two. So there. Yeah. I guess it's just like an interesting perspective to point out, you know, later in the, in the newer comics, we talk about how, the idea is that the humans are attempting to create technology that can surpass the power of mutants. But this argument is always that the mutants can do all of these terrible things because they have powers, yet it always seems that the humans can do just as much damage with their technology. Right. Well, and, you know, are they only doing that because they're trying to match what the mutants are able to do? Or are they doing that just because they're terrible people? Just because they're terrible people. Because they would do it to other people if they didn't have mutants to do it to. Okay, so. We're in that sensory deprivation tank. 
he's being tested on and they're trying different methods, watching the results, trying to break Xavier. And there's a connection between what he's feeling and Scott and Aurora's torture device as well. They're in like little robot pods or just different pods. Yep. Aurora says, we have done you no harm. Why are you doing this to us? Because you exist. Oof. And we get a little bit of Stryker's backstory. He and his pregnant wife are traveling and there's a car crash. He delivers the baby and it's a monster. It's a mutant. It's visibly a mutant. And he, he freaks out and he kills the child <gasps> and then snaps his wife's neck. What, what What? provoked him to do that? It was just seeing the mutant and seeing this as a abomination, a, a later he'll rationalize as a test from God, tempting him to the devil and that his... Is there a nuclear bomb going off? Nope, that's his crash his car exploding exploding. he's actually staged an explosion in an attempt to kill himself and burn the bodies but he's actually thrown from the car and survives so basically his his whole motivation is because he had a son or a child who was born a mutant and that caused him to kill his child and his wife but he doesn't have any like a mutant did me wrong story no not really that's so messed up. Right. That's so messed up, Striker. I, I would say that in the movie in X2, he gets a little bit more of a rationalized backstory with that in that he had a mutant son. He tried to have him rehabilitated, quote unquote. Like conversion therapy, basically. From Xavier, but Xavier wouldn't do the things that Stryker wanted to do, right? So right, so that Jason gives him, and, yeah. Yep. And so that, I feel like, was a little bit understandable, a little bit more understandable, whereas this, he's just kind of going off the walls. and Crazy man. Yeah. And so in these other flashback sequences, he finds an article from Xavier about mutants, and he understands that that's what his son was. Oh, I see. So he basically could have potentially had a son like Nightcrawler looking right. and thought like, this is an actual this is demon. The, this is a demon. This is a test to me. So basically... He had his his demon baby. Mm-hmm. He killed his demon baby and his wife. And then he learned that it wasn't a demon, but a mutant. So instead of taking responsibility for the fact that he made a mistake and killed his family for no good reason, he's now blaming the mutants. Well, see, he actually rationalized it as his wife, Marcy's fault. Son of a- it becomes the reason for his crusade, that mutants as the creation of the devil and that this is his test, his purpose to rid the world of these mutants. Oy. And that's where I feel like, you know, this striker, I don't believe represents any known religion that we see or any, any extremist point of view that I'm currently aware of, but is this in a magnified sense to tell this idea of twisting a message to further your goals? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think, it seems contextually that he's referencing a specific God, religion, right. but and there's the Bible. right. And and he's like saying an actual like prayer in one of the well, panels, that, but there's not any tie to that religion and any feelings specifically like this. Sure. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm not trying to demonize religion. Yeah. We're not through trying this. to demonize anybody. Striker's a bad guy, Stryker's not just because one. he's religious, but because he's twisted religion right. to well, suit his it's, pursuits. It, yes. It's basically this idea that like when somebody believes that 
they are chosen by their higher power to do something. They'll justify They'll anything. They'll justify it in any way they can. Yep. And so he believes that that he was chosen to do this. That's why he was presented with this child and why he had to kill the child and his wife. And so he, this is his mission now. Mm-hmm. It's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over here, Striker. So he starts monologuing to Scott and Aurora. Scott asks, how did you learn of the X-Men? And Stryker says, Xavier initially founded your group under the auspices of the federal government. His liaison was FBI agent Fred Duncan, a senior official of the Bureau, a devoted member of the Crusade, passed copies of Duncan's files onto me. The more I learned of your mentor, the more convinced I became that he is the Antichrist and supposed friend of mankind who will lead us instead to our destruction. Oh, man. So he makes the call to have Kitty killed as he's talking to the people on the field and Storm's reaction. She's Kitty! Child. And, and you see that lightning bolt over the New York City skyline. Oh, Storm. That was, was that also the Claremont run was talking about Storm's powers? Or so, I was watching something about Storm's powers and how like she can control weather in places where she's not even there, like from across the ocean and stuff. Uh, I mean, that's a stretch that maybe she evolves into or grows into, but it's normally it's in her relative proximity, right? So she's I think in, they were talking about one specific storyline where she was maybe in Wakanda or something and she did something. I don't know. Another far away place. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, anyway, it's cool that she could do that, that she's like creating this epic weather from inside her little robot bubble. And I feel like that is a perfect place to take a pause and end part one of this episode. Ooh, a two-parter. Surprise, you weren't expecting that. And neither were we. This just went on a little bit longer than we had anticipated. It was good. Except you were all expecting it because the title of this episode probably says part one. So it's really just a surprise for us. Surprise! Until next time, old friend. Charles, give me part two. I'm... With your mutants, they're my mutants now. Oh, Charles. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Ex-Wife Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends. The Ex-Wife Podcast is produced in Providence, Rhode Island by Alicia and Justin. Our music is by Quan. 